Hey guys, uh, Omar here. And Chris, hello. And uh, just a reminder, this is Investigating Angel, where it is the nighttime adjacent programming to our normal Sunnydale study group stuff. So we are going to talk about some darker themes in this discussion, in this session, specifically Nazis. For like half an hour, we're going to discuss Nazis Mm -hmm. because of the bad guys of this episode. Mm -hmm. Just want to put that up front so you're prepared and you know it's coming. And uh, all right, that's it. Let's just hop right into the session. Hello and welcome to the Sunnydale Study Group presents Investigating Angel. I'm Omar. I'm Chris. And we are down south from Sunnydale here in Los Angeles in the Central Library where we are investigating Angel. Mm, Yep, and it is warm outside, but it's cool in here. Yeah, it's nice and cool. And if you don't hear the air conditioning buzz in the background, it's because we stopped running it for the duration of this podcast. But in general, it's pretty cool inside. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, we're hiding from the uh the sun that's slowly melting us all. How okay, uh in Northern California, I feel like it's a little like either if you're in the city, like if you're in San Francisco, Oakland area, it's humid mm-hmm. because it's it's still very wet from the bay. Uh but where I live in San Jose, it's just a straight dry heat. Just a straight dry heat during the summer, which I personally prefer a little bit. Because then all you have to do is just stay cool, stay in the shade, like drink water and stuff like that. Then you can like get through. What about New Hampshire during the summer? Well, New Hampshire during the summer is a whole other thing because there's this thing called mosquitoes. Oh, okay. Something you don't really realize out here in California, in the desert where nothing can live. But it's awesome because it's beautiful and it's great. But the bug presence is noticeable. Okay, so it's kind of like Chicago area. Like during the summer in Chicago, it's Bug City. Oh, it's Bug Central. Yeah. We have these things called greenheads. Greenheads? Greenheads aren't like mosquitoes where they suck your blood, they eat your flesh. What? And greenheads... You're thinking of bears. uh, Yes, they're bears, but in bug form with giant green eyeballs. And they just bite your skin? They just rip your flesh out. Like you, you bleed? Oh, yeah. How big are they? Uh, they're a kind of horsefly. Okay, all right. So about horsefly sized, and they're cruel. Greenheads are cruel. And then mosquitoes, sleeping on a humid summer night, mosquito buzzing in your ear, can be kind of disturbing. I realized coming out here that my usage of bug spray was significantly less. I've, I don't think I've ever used bug spray. Well, it, it's sometimes effective. Okay. <laughs> what about a citronella candle? Yeah, see that I that I have a plenty of. Oh yeah. So, uh, but anyway, that's but it's beautiful. It's great. Great, except yeah. for the greenheads. Except for the greenheads. Well, thank you for joining us for our discussion of summer, and now we're going to transition over to our discussion <laughs> season one, episode nine of Angel Hero. Mm. It's a huge episode, very emotional. So let's go ahead and cue up that music, Jim, and let's get this started. Oh, man, I was really not excited to get to this episode, to be honest. So Doyle's dead. Yeah, mm. let's just go ahead and... Uh, rip the Band-Aid off. Rip the Band-Aid off. Doyle is no longer with us. A character that brought us into the series and brought Angel out of his basement. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if you're not allowed to have basements in Los Angeles. Because that of the earthquakes? Be, yeah. We don't have basements in California. Well, it's more of like a lower floor. Oh, I guess so. Well, there's just the ground floor then. Yeah, you might be right. No, I guess there are subs. There's subterranean stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. half of the magic castle has to be underground. It seemed that way, but it's so, kind of elevated. Yeah. But I think it's replaced dirt. Replaced dirt. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's sort of like, did you ever see an Englishman who went up a hill and came down a mountain? No, but you've mentioned it before in the podcast. Okay, great. Pierce Brosnan? Uh, Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. That's who it was, Hugh Grant. So they moved dirt to the top of the mountain to make more mountain. That's how they make basements in Los Angeles. Got it. Got it. Which is, yeah, that makes sense. That's how we get the Pasadena mountains mm-hmm. behind us was because of all the basements. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yes, Doyle, gone. Mm-hmm. Gone amongst us. Now, what I've realized posting on our social pages. Yes. Is Doyle the character? If, you, if you're watching Angel for the first time, you might not know this. But if you're someone who's seen both series, the image of Doyle instantly triggers sadness. Yeah, that's so true. Even when he comes back in. I remember when we started the season and he came in, the first thought you have is like, hmm, Doyle. And whenever I'd put up a picture on social media that included Doyle in it, even if it was one of the earlier episodes where like something kind of fun was happening with Doyle, there would just be like comments and weeping emojis. Exactly. Which I think the one with the tears streaming down the face, those are lasers. That's what I say. It's actually blue like eye lasers. Yeah, yeah, like a, yeah. but not a cyclops, like a dual. Mm-hmm. Scott Summers can has contacts. Ooh, there you go. Has that ever has that been a thing? It's like Iceman Cyclops, like he's shooting yeah. ice out of his eyes. Mm. Bobby Summers. Ice Clops. Ice Clops. There it is. Although mm. we still cut the clops. It's oh, still fine. Yeah. You just throw clops every now and then. But yeah, Doyle, I mean, I don't know if other people agree on this, but I think that Doyle means more in death Mm -hmm. than he does in life. For those who might be completely shocked right now and did not expect Doyle to pass away, and this is news to their ears, perhaps they need a quick voicemail to catch them up on the episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and pull. It's it's down here. It's located down here in the dusty basement of the Central Library. As much as we talk about there's being no basements, we're sitting in one, so color me a hypocrite. and I'm going to go ahead and click play here on this little voicemail. That was the voicemail machine for, uh, for Angel Investigation. So uh, here we go. Click. Um, uh, hi, Angel Investigations. I just uh, found your card in the front of a coffee shop, and I just uh, wanted to let you know that a evil Nazi-like force of uh, skin-wearing demons has come into town calling themselves the Scourge, and they're going after this poor group of demons called Lister demons who have been in fear and hiding and they're being protected by Angel, who I believe is you, and his you know associates Doyle and Cordelia. And of course, it turns out that uh, Doyle's people were also hunted by this scourge at one time or another. And the Lister demons, I mean, they keep up hope because they have some belief in a prophecy of a savior that will come. And it might be Angel, but then it actually, I think, turns out that it's Doyle who, in the moment of reckoning, uh, faces the giant evisceration bomb that is created by the Scourge hops onto it after having uh, kissed Cordelia, who he has a crush on, and passes some sort of blue energy through his lips into Cordelia, and then jumps onto the bomb and turns it off and saves everyone at the expense of killing himself. Um, If you could call me back at 555-555-5554, that would be fantastic. All right, thank you. Bye. So there's the voicemail. 
Um, I don't know why Angel would call them back. <laughs> it sounds like it's self solved itself. Right. I think that it's kind of, yeah, there's not really a mystery at the end there. Mm-hmm. Uh, save for a few questions that might linger for future episodes. Exactly. Um, but for all intents and purposes, Doyle jumped onto the bomb to stop the scourge. He did. Yeah. And I, this episode is not necessarily particularly exciting. Right. Until that final moment. And the Scourge are so weird and gross. And it's like they're these Nazi demons and they have these uniforms. They're wearing faces. Yeah. Is that what it is? I believe so. It's the faces of people they're killing. Demons are killing, right? I suppose. Yeah. So the Scourge are wearing people's faces. I saw it in Redeemed, our reference book, that Lars Pearson and Krista Dixon, who also did Dusted, that there's a little bit of similarity between the way they look and the way the demons in Buffy Season 3's opening Anne look. Okay. Oh! And there's a theory that it's a similar breed of demon, except that what they do in this form is that they're on the surface trying to kill all humans and half-breeds, even though they would technically be half-breeds themselves... Because any demon, as Anyanka points out in season three, that walks the earth is a human hybrid. And that the only one... Yeah, so they are actually not pure demon. The only pure demon is something like the the mayor. Right. Or something that was teased in Amends that I don't know if we've quite gotten into in Buffy. Yeah. Although it's said, right? Do they say who the big bad of Amends is? Yeah, the first. The first. Yeah. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah, the first. And the first, I think, even predates what the mayor was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they are... Well, yes, because it's the first, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'd think so. Uh, So, but yeah. So in that sense, the Scourge are actually human hybrids themselves. It's not surprising to me because... Nazism caught on. I know that we've talked a little bit about it in previous sessions, but Nazism is something that caught on and then got globbed into German nationalism that was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. But the general sense of like the ideal race and stuff like that is so bonkers crazy. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean this from just our own practical, like we know that as Americans or people of just who aren't insane monsters. <laughs> Like that saying that only one group of people should exist, everyone else is dumb, is insane. And the reason for that is because the Nazis and where this whole thought process came from was actually from a mad, I can't remember exactly where she's from, but she was this mad woman who said that certain descendants of an ancient race should be psychic because she saw it in this Tibetan book that people of, like, white skin... It's, like, tall, white-skinned people should have psychic abilities. And she's like, and why don't we have psychic abilities, according to this book, that no one's seen, that I'm telling you about, and I'm a mad woman. And they were like, I don't know, that's a good question. And someone's like, maybe it's because of the Jewish people? And then everyone's like, you're right. The Jewish people are preventing us from being fully psychic. We need to be fully psychic, and then we'll be taller We'll have psychic abilities, and we can I, like maybe float or fly or something like that. That's where like that that idea of we need to erase 
and eradicate a race came from i mean of course there's like hate and everything in terms of you know if someone said you're psychic how do you get to there my first thought would be like i gotta go to upper state new york to a special mm-hmm. school yeah where i have to train under a bald man uh yeah <laughs> that i'll flippantly call wheels at one point mm-hmm. um but a combination That's of hate insane. and absolute insanity yeah because it just doesn't make sense no. like that the nazi argument makes no sense yeah and I think None for us as Americans, we can so easily laugh at that because we, you know, just like all our stuff is built from the combination of so many cultures. Mm-hmm. So why would you ever get rid of any culture? Right. And then, but yet we still kind of found ourselves a little bit with <laughs> these demons in right. our own world. Yes, yeah. we have. We have indeed. That is insane. Right. And so then that's linked with the scourge. And, that's, and I totally, so that to me reads very true of like if it's like a, Nazi parallel, mm-hmm. and it's like only pure-blooded demons can do this. Yeah, and it's like, well, you're not pure-blooded demons. Like, I know. It's like, yeah, you're right. It's because this whole thing started. Yeah, and a seed of insanity in our world. I mentioned these demons too. There was some seed of insanity. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean they're demons, and they're um, probably prone to not necessarily the clearest of thinking. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. And then, have we about... met any demons that are like geniuses? Um. Like, I do not want to be racist about this. Yeah. But I also, as of yet, I feel like there's no evidence. No, this is just becoming racist. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, I don't need to get into not it. Not all demons are evil, and that's the thing, something that the show Angel explores more. Right. What do you think about their quickness to trust Angel? Also, really quick, I'm just going to say, uh, Anya... Totally nullified my argument anyway, because she's very smart. So Right. Well, I smart, take it back. I take sure. it back. Yeah. But yeah, Anya still has even in her human form now. I mean, when we first meet Anya, she was intending to bring wrath and ruin sure, yeah. not just on the men that she was being uh, scorning, but on kind of all. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, one could argue that a human going camping is an act of evil, an assault on that spot of nature. Okay. But we don't, you know, so, and demons are different, you know, it's so like, we're not ants, so we're not going to feel so horrible about like, you know, we're not green eyes or green heads. Mm, yeah, we're not green heads. Yeah, no, so we're not no, green we heads, and no, we think we green heads not. are evil, whereas the green heads are probably just like, you swatted my family, or you sprayed my family with this aerosol poison, you're evil. So, I'm going to give it to Anya, yeah. but I will say that we might, we could use a little bit of better representation for demons. I think so Smart as well. Smart demons in this in this universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I believe, I believe that as well. <laughs> um, and I think that the the quickness which they are like, yeah, Angel, you're cool. Yeah, a little weird, weird, right? It was just a little instant. Yeah, is like, it because they want to appear strong and they're just attracted to like strong archetype stuff? It might be that the scourge are just such. Like, actual fools. Like, they're kind of, like, minion... In in the same way as, like, the Nazis, where they, like, had this whole belief that they were these, like, calculated geniuses. But, in fact, they're just humans who are awful. Yeah. And I think Also, like, I don't really, really like this... First of all, they started from such an insane place, Nazis, Mm -hmm. and then by proxy, Scourge started from such an insane place of wanting to become psychic based off of this book that's hidden. By the way, if you want to get way more into this as a two-part series on last podcast on the left, 
that talked about the history of Nazis. Three very, uh, at times, rough and vulgar and flippant comedians, but I think that's one of the best ways to learn about Nazi culture because it's not this, like, history channel, like, oh, these brilliant minds that were so sophisticated and listened to Wagner and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, these guys were nuts. Yeah. If they, if they ironed their suits, that's one thing, but first of all, they're crazy. They wanted to be psychic, and they lost yeah. hardcore. Oh, yeah. To us, yeah, Americans, right? <laughs> which I'm still very proud of, and to like, and just are forever seared in the history books as like the evilest force to walk the yeah. land. I still feel like they they just get so much of an unnecessarily, and I don't know where it comes from per se, because you know I don't not, I don't know. It's it's very weird, but like, there still seems to be. Let me know what you think about this. Mm-hmm. There still seems to be this sense of respect for the Nazis, of like some people the way they talk about like Nazi forces and stuff like that are like, we bested you, you know, but you were a hard person to beat, so put her there. Like I really do feel like we have that imagery. Hmm. For example, like how I hey I love Tarantino. This is not a knock on Tarantino. There's several amazing scenes that I refer to quite often from Inglorious, but. Inglorious, thinking about the Nazis in that film compared to members of the KKK in Django, Django, how they couldn't even see out of their eye holes and they're mm-hmm. idiots. Yeah. Granted, we already. Like, I feel like we keep we don't paint Germans the same way we paint American South. Yeah. And that's weird to me because to me, a a, a stumbling dumb group of KKK guys failing to come over a hill. Mm-hmm. And Nazis who are fumbling and failing to get something done as well is like the same thing. Yet we keep painting the Germans as from that time period, like Nazi forces, as like very sophisticated and intelligent, intellectual. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But they were dumb because they lot like Nazis are dumb. Yeah, Nazis right? are. That's awful. not a hot take. No, I think that it was there. I think that the different. I mean, obviously, the levels of evil are. As high as it can go. Yes. There's something kind of I mean mechanical. Ish. There's something kind of mechanical about the German culture. As a, even pre-Nazi, post-Nazi, it was this idea that they were like removed humanity from themselves and became this evil machine. But we don't like, versus... like the Weimar period that way, you know. I don't know. I just feel like no. there's something weird we do. With, it like, feels like they're presented in this like sort of elegant light. Yeah. When it's like in the same way that like psychopaths in movies always play like uh, opera or classical music, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, but they're crazy though. Like yeah. showing, it's almost like this is like the epoch of humanity, and we can't get there. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think it is. I think it's low. I think it's like go down, go low. Like to me, and like it would just be. Like, if I were to represent, like, a high-up Nazi in, like, a movie, it would be someone running around and being like, have you heard of Wagner? And you're mm-hmm. just like, yes, we have. It's like, well, he's a, he's a, he's a composer. Mm-hmm. We absolutely know who Wagner is. Well, he makes music. Maybe you didn't hear about this. He makes music? Do you know what music is? It's like, yes, we know what music is, you daft idiot. Yeah. Like, that's what I, that to me is my mental image more so. But we kind of, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like maybe the Scourge are, to loop it back in, the Scourge are a more accurate representation. Of what the Nazis were. Right. Or like it's how like they... they're trying to be, they're trying to justify their evil by wearing, 
like uniforms. But they're such weenies. Yeah. And I'm not trying to like downplay the atrocities uh, of history of the specific group. But this like the second you see the scourge, you're like, you're gross. Yeah. You're weird looking. I don't think you have a great plan. You guys seem kinda dumb. Yeah. Oh, fully dumb. I think that you like your mental capacities are dulled by your hate and need mm-hmm. to do this insane thing mm-hmm. and you're gonna for sure get beaten yeah you know like that's to me this is this to me feels more like an appropriate nazi story yeah where you just look at them and you're like what yeah what like that should be your first reaction just like what is yeah. this no absolutely. no yeah no it's just foolishness so really i yeah, give I, I extra points to this that. episode for that yeah. like especially the angel interaction right where they're just like yeah sure this guy seems pretty evil get him in <laughs> yeah he snapped that guy's neck did you check to see if he's dead i'm sure he is exactly yeah yeah, yeah. exactly exactly that's interesting yeah so these the are scourge, thoughts. yeah the scourge are the accurate representation of how barbaric the nazis actually were yeah as opposed to the sleek and eloquent version that's often represented in film right that's such a yes barbaric is such a good word barbaric's the word to use yeah barbaric and like uncivilized yeah uh and i also get so confused too when like americans are like not superposed to like nazi era stuff like what's going on right now in our world where a bunch of people are just like that's my history i'm like no your history is us beating them yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, the weird thing about the Nazi comparison is it's been used so constantly by everyone that it, like, the moment it comes up, it feels like people just lose their It's minds. a little bit of white noise because everything is Nazi now. Everything, everybody was Hitler. Yeah. Like, Bush was Hitler. And then everybody was like, well, Obama's Hitler. It's like, well, no, he's not. Like, yeah, he is. And it's like, well, Trump is the Hitleriest of them all. But it's like, well, now, but if you call but Trump... But you can't say... But if you say Trump's a Hitler, then they're like, yeah, well, you said this was a Hitler, too. So who's actually Hitler? It's like, well, Hitler was Hitler. Right. But, and no, but the comparisons are a lot clearer today. Um, but I did notice that once. I remember in, like, a back in the back in the great year of 2016, and yeah. by great year, I mean stressful and terrible, uh, I was having a Facebook argument, as you do. Mm-hmm. And what else is it for? Baby pictures? No. No, 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 no. It's for yelling at strangers that you don't know about yep. how they're supporting Nazis. <laughs> um, and I remember I brought in the comparisons to the treatment of Muslims as to the treatment of the Jewish people mm-hmm. during World War II. And this Trump supporter just like was like, he posted, what's the, what's the name of that thing? It's like a theory, like the first time, like when the first person that references. Hitler? There, yeah, there's some kind of... Law 37 or one of those Yeah, things. it's yeah. called like Bergman's Law or something like that. And it's like the first time someone references Hitler that they've lost the argument. And I was like, ugh, okay, I got to step out of this. This isn't fun for anybody right now. I think having such a wide, wide-sweeping rule is foolish. I think so too, like, you know. If you find yourself constantly having to have conversations with people who aren't making sense, not offending your position, but just aren't making sense, then find better company. But you can't say that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's crazy. 
Like, if I was talking about, like, Goebbels, and I was just, like, and comparing Goebbels to Hitler, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey Goebbels now. was not Hitler. I'm just like, okay, yeah, but no, but like this, I'm talking about the two, like, <laughs> these two people who directly did the things. You get that, right? Like, okay, but let's not call him that. Like, why are you? No, I think that it's very fair. Yeah. This is a very fair, very direct comparison we oh, can make. Absolutely it is. I think Hitler and the Nazis have been so, what's the word? Like, saturated? That's part of it. Almost like, not cartoonized, but like, it, film has turned them into this almost vampiric zombie. Like, like the idea of what they did was so insanely vile. Yeah. That it's even hard to fathom that it was actual. That's, so, uh, that and, was a huge argument during the making of Schindler's List. Okay. To not make it was because the second you turn it into fiction, you can imagine it. Yeah. And it's something that we can't actually imagine. Yeah. Because the, the danger is if you shoot a film and you're like, we're going to focus on this aspect of it, then suddenly your brain is like, that's all there was. Mm -hmm. And can't see the widespread ripple of something that we honestly can't imagine. Like, we yeah. really cannot. It's beyond the mind to even really... And I think that's such a reason why there's such fascination with... World War Two. it's like, the Nazis will be the bad guys forever. Yeah. And the first time I was ever, like, heavily exposed to uh, World War Two history was in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. There was a class I had with uh, my teacher, Miss Reef, and we had our segment on the Holocaust, and it was, like, a whole semester where we just watched it all, saw it all. Did you watch Shoah, the, like, nine-hour documentary? I think we watched that, but okay. we, we read Night, we watched, right. you know, clips and videos. Yeah. It's like, I think one, at one point we like went to D.C. and went to the museum. Oh, wow. Because like you a, could, because you were right there, yeah. Yeah, it was very much like a, you are going to, this is going to be, welcome to what the world is. Yeah. And it was like, shaking, mm -hmm. obviously. And so, I think that what's so weird in a lot of... Movies from then on, though, it's like you look at like Indiana Jones or Hellboy, and the Nazis are the bad guys, but the Nazis and Indiana Jones and Hellboy are like these like play school versions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so they've become uh, they've become a demonic force in and of themselves, and it almost like makes them seem like I don't know. Uh, I'm not even exactly sure where I'm landing this. Idea. No, I agree with you that it's. Because uh, I was thinking about it a lot after I was reading about the making of Schindler's List. And yeah, it is something where I feel like we don't, even though we learned about it and it made an impression. Uh, and, you know, it's two goys here talking about mm -hmm. uh, uh, about the Holocaust. That it is something that we, I feel like it's it should almost be Voldemorty. In yeah. that way. And I understand in the counter argument of like, but if you are afraid to say Voldemort's name, doesn't that give it power? And, but I say then there's like, I think like a third option of we, ch not we choose not to say it, but there's another approach to have to mm. it. Uh, but at the same time, when something starts to resemble it, like, I don't know, lots of things I've seen online or like in certain publications and stuff like that or certain ways that speeches are presented, certain things said by certain leaders. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is, but this is very familiar to what I know of. 
the rise of like a dictatorship sort of thing. Yeah. Then I feel like it's appropriate to say it, and I can see how people might get confused because they're like, but everyone says about everything. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like I can hear, I feel like as comedians, it's like a thing where like you hear so many horrible things all the time you laugh off, and you can still, but it's not like you're deadened yeah. or overly cynical. I always get weird, confused when comedians have that, where they're like, well, I'm in comedy, so I can't take anything seriously. I'm like, oh, you... No, you can still be a human. You just expand your, uh, you know, reaction and ability mm-hmm. either way. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so strange. I always get confused by that. Yeah. I'm always like, I feel like comedians should be more sensitive than the average schmo. I think so as well. Right? Because you go so far into, like, one end of, like, we make fun of so much stuff, you would just flip over to the other side and just be like, but I'm so affected by things as well. Yeah. Sort of like a Robin Williams-y. I would hope that as well. I feel like sometimes when I encounter in the comedy world when people are being vicious or vile or insensitive is like they chalk it up to everything should be on, nothing should be off limits, I guess is the way they should they say it. And I think that the thought on that is, but what's your goal? Right. That's impossible. For example... Is your goal to present that you're so insensitive to the suffering of the world that it implies that you do not sympathize and don't care then to save it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. What is, yeah, exactly. What is the goal there? Yeah. Like, I, I get so vexed when it's like I throw everyone under the bus or I make fun of everything because I don't think that's true and I don't think it can be true because if I came up to that comedian or this person, quote unquote comedian, and I said, hey, uh, by the way, uh, I saw some periwinkle bushes over there where it was supposed to just be cabbage. That's not funny. What do you mean it's not funny? I throw everything under the bus. Yeah. You don't, you don't find plant things funny? Periwinkle's not supposed to be there. It sounds to me like, no, it sounds to me like you have a very small view of the world. Yeah. And that just mentioning plants isn't going to be hilarious to you. So then I don't think you throw everything on the bus. I don't think that, you're, no. that the entire universe is what you're seeing at your disposal. I think you're being very picky and choosy about what you're going for. Yeah, I think you're finding things that are considered offensive to be delightful. Yeah. Because it gives like a rush of blood or something like that. Well, there's also, I mean, first of all, let's be honest, that periwinkle joke is hilarious. Second (laughs) of all, (laughs) because they're not supposed to be there, it's a cabbage patch. I know. Um, Second of all, there's a difference between being edgy and being funny because you can have edgy material in a joke but it has to be funny Mm -hmm. like I've seen Tosh say some horrible things and then we'll land it on a target joke and it's funny to me because he somehow paired horrible things and arrived at the conclusion of target which to me is a very safe comfortable like yuppie experience and i'm like how did we get here and that's where the comedy is out of it yeah other people say stuff to be shocking i think that just comes from a fear of being rejected Mm -hmm. for not being the best at having social cues yeah and then you just create that situation so you at least feel some sense of control Mm -hmm. where it's like oh i just say terrible things you have to like me it's like no no no. you can say terrible things i'm not gonna like you yeah and if you can round it out to being funny i'm still probably not gonna like you but at least I appreciate your craft <laughs> at it. You know? Yeah. And that's interesting. Yeah. And I think that maybe the scourge, it's, I think that what's a little weird about the scourge is that there's such a one-off 
villain. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to do a Nazi group, it's either you make them a little bit more formidable. Yeah. In terms of, like, their organization level and the... Make it Hydra. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You make it something that you really need to destroy, or you highlight the fact that they're not that strong. Yeah. And you call out the fact that... Because I think that this episode doesn't... It doesn't really address how wrong they are, unless Mm -hmm. I'm incorrect about that. It feels like it more so is about... Maybe it does, I guess. Or like, I guess it's, the idea is it's it, you. You can't. Oh, you can't turn a blind eye. Right. Like Doyle realized you can't turn a blind eye, and he turned a blind eye when he was young and running away from you know who he was, mm-hmm. and then his people were killed by the scourge, and then it was weird because it was like then they came back again. I don't know. There was something not quite connective there. Although I do love the scene with him and the young person where they mentioned the Halloween. Yeah. It's like, what day was it? It was Halloween. That's a cool mm-hmm. exchange. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, they seem like pretty big villains, right? If they're going around killing demons, wiping out demons. And they've developed this bomb technology that's like pretty unclear. I don't... Have we encountered a demon that uses bomb technology, let yeah, alone technology? Yeah, it's like a mystical neutron bomb. Yeah. Yeah. No, we have not. Yeah, the Scourge are a little underdeveloped, but I think that the main point of this episode, or the main, not not the main point, the main takeaway from this episode is is Doyle's death. Yep. Is, that's what you think of when you think of Doyle. Spoiler alert, Doyle does not come back. He is gone. Yeah. He's not a character that gets resurrected. He's out of the show. Yeah. Um, So... We and apparently thought, that yeah. was a plan. Apparently the plan, they said that the plan was to remove Doyle. So that he was just gone? Yeah, and I think that like the way Tim Minear phrased it was like, and Tim Minear co-wrote the episode, I believe. Let me double check our little thing here. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Yes, Howard Gordon, Tim Minear wrote it. Tucker Gates directed it. It aired at the end of 1999. Um, that they said that they wanted to, it was kind of a predecessor of Game of Thrones in that sense, where it's like they wanted you to feel like anybody could go. But it's not so, that anybody yeah. could go, you know, less than compelling side characters can go. It's crazy to see how that concept has evolved mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. Because so many shows will do that, and I feel like the reason that Game of Thrones has cemented itself so well in television is because from the get-go they they did that with a major character in a very buffy way mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah it feels like because i feel like with doyle it's it was very uncertain of like if this was permanent um in the episode i feel like there's such a lingering sense of hope mm-hmm. uh in the same way that like banshee passed or no 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 i'm sorry banshee's yeah, Banshee passed away in the X-Men, mm-hmm. and an X-Factor siren was dealing with the loss, and there was sort of a meta story going on in there uh, where it was siren was like, yeah, but they always come back. Yeah. Like, we're X-Men. We always come back. And just did not mourn her father for maybe a year, mm-hmm. and then finally had to accept that he wasn't coming back. Right. Which was nuts. Yeah. 
I don't think Banshee's come back yet. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't heard a big thing about I it. I haven't either. I think maybe Nightcrawler's back, but I'm really confused about that. He was like a pirate for a little bit. Was he? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Had little bants. Little, oh. little Nightcrawlers, little bants. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Great. Uh, but it, it's a huge change to the freaking show, man. It's Doyle. Yeah, it's like... He's a little slimy. He's in the he's in the opening credits. He's in the opening advertisements. But is he sticking around? No, indeed he ain't. Yeah. I'm okay with Doyle's being wrapped up in this moment. He gets an important heroic exit. He will see the aftermath of his passing in the following episode. And... And the dynamic never really was quite there. I think that, you know, all respect to Glenn Quinn, who is no longer with us, Mm -hmm. but he didn't necessarily... It was like... The interesting thing about Doyle is he very specifically was the first non-Buffy character created for Angel. And as, you know, without getting into it too much, there will be some perhaps characters that we know from certain universes coming into the show soon. So Doyle was kind of an experiment in that sense. Yeah, but I feel like, and I feel because of that, Angel, so much of it is thanks to Doyle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So much of it is just like, I feel like Angel is broody and brings over his like season three stuff from Mm -hmm. Buffy. Mm -hmm. But the show itself is all thanks to Doyle and Doyle's character where it's a little cheeky, a little inappropriate, at times very inappropriate, Mm -hmm. a little scummy, right? Like we're not dealing with like, this isn't like the OC Southern California show, you know, it's like, no, this is like a, yeah, hot nighttime cockroaches. This is like a racetrack betting guy who, like, is yeah. trying to scheme and, you know, goes to the bar alone and And he's a hero. And... That's something that I think is, a, and I I feel like this is maybe more... And he is a hero, yeah. Like, it's such a modern concept. It's such a... I hesitate to say contemporary. It probably was from, I don't know, like, Dickens' era onwards, probably. Mm-hmm. But the idea of someone who isn't nobility. I know this is like, I'm now widening out. I'm not just talking about TV shows in the 90s. I just mean in general of our stories as humans. Aside from like a street rat who somehow makes it, it's someone who is a ground level character and isn't directly tied to an estate or something like that. uh, Or doesn't ascend to fortune and fame. For us in the Western world, that's, like, kind of a new hero. Like, even with, like, you know, Robin of the Hood and stuff like that, I feel like there was still this nobility to them and this grace. And then later we were just like, well, he sort of marries into a high class or stuff like that. But Doyle is just a guy like us. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't... And the fact that he just wanted to be a little helpful is enough for him to be a hero. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is what makes Angel so different than Buffy. Yeah. Because Buffy, you get these kids. You get the Slayer. You have a Watcher. And then you have friends who are thrust into greatness and then rise up in that Mm -hmm. there's this sense that like the scoobies are very important in sunnydale right even though they might not have trophies or whatever right but people know who they are because they're in school and they get they slowly move into wider circles right yeah 
And there's this sense of almost like, it's almost like Xander being a construction worker, uh, 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 Giles being a librarian. That's their Clark Kent mm-hmm. identities. You know, like mm-hmm. Willow teaching or going on to do whatever, being a student in college. That's their Clark Kents because they're out there fighting magic and they're being heroes. I feel like Doyle as an adult was just wakes up, probably hungover, got to do the right thing today. Yeah. And that's it. Not because someone's going to thank him, not because he's got some cool secret team club that they get to hang out and dance at the bronze and stuff. It was just a guy who put on his hat, walked outside and said, all right, let's just try to do it. And that to me is yeah. what separates Angel from Buffy, you know? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So thank you, Doyle. <laughs> thank you, Doyle. Thank you, Doyle. Hey, everybody, raise a, raise a glass. I don't have a glass. I have an empty espresso cup, but let's raise one up to Doyle. Yeah, absolutely. And that little video that they made, that ad, moving. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, am I done? It's like, oh, you are, Doyle. Mm-hmm. You are done. And you did good. You went out. You saved people's lives. Doyle, to me, feels a little bit like the Ninth Doctor. Okay. Where yeah. short run, but... Pointy nose. Pointy nose. <laughs> oh, wait. No, no, no. I was thinking the Tenth Doctor. He kinda I looks think they all like kind of have pointy noses. Okay, great. Yeah, go on. Short uh, run. Yeah. Like a short run... And has this incredible heroic bow out at the mm-hmm. end, and it really is a thing where, like, if you were to describe like the character Doyle, well, could you describe his role in the universe as fantastic? Absolutely, because mm-hmm. he's the one that brought Angel out. Yeah, he's you know, and he's the one that had the calling from the powers that be. Yeah, he was. Yeah, no, he absolutely was. He was the one that kicked it into gear. And then in the end, he defeated some Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, he leapt on, and he, and he suffered in his final moments. Mm-hmm. He, he got melted to muscle. Yeah. Right before he ripped the plug in half and then was eviscerated right mm-hmm. there. Tragic. He's a tragic hero. Doyle, France, Alan Francis Doyle, I think was his yeah. full name. Yeah. So rest in peace, Doyle. Yeah. Thank you for everything you've done. Indeed. Which was a lot. It was a Think lot. of all those people who wouldn't be saved by Angel. If it wasn't for Doyle. Including possibly Cordelia. Although I believe Cordelia would be fine. Yeah, she might have even been... Well, I mean... Uh, but she wouldn't the, have had a the, job. She wouldn't have. The powers <laughs> brought it into being. Yeah. Yeah. So, there it is. There's our first bell, which means, unfortunately, we got to start wrapping things up. Mm. Uh, but, Dennis, do you mind holding the door for us? Okay, Dennis is leaning up against the door to make sure that no one kicks us out. Okay, great. It's great, because they're going to look through the little window and be like, "What's the door's not locked. What's keeping it? It's Dennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to give you some Los Angeles lessons that we learned from this episode specifically. So, we got to think about this one. There's a lot, Yeah. Huh? Oof, my, oh my, oh my. Mm. Okay, I've got, I think I've got one Los Angeles lesson that's a, sort of a bigger takeaway. Okay. Than just this episode, but I think it culminates in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Los Angeles lesson is everyone you bump into on the street is fighting their own battles and has the potential at the end of the day to be a hero. That's Love my it. Los Angeles lesson. Thanks for that. Uh, mine would be when you encounter those who seem like they have the capacity to do harm against those that they don't understand, don't know, or don't care for, don't believe that there's the capacity 
for reason and to convince them else how. It is just a, in my view, just go the other way. Sure. Don't try to meet halfway in that. Don't try to meet halfway and know that there, in this world, unfortunately, there are those who do feel that way. Yeah. There are some men who just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. And that is a sad thing. That is true and might remain true for all of history. But just take care of yourself and take care of those around you. Absolutely. That's great. Mm -hmm. What a great Los Angeles lesson. And that is our final bell, which means that Dennis can hold the door only so much longer. So we are going to hop off mm-hmm. at the Central Library. Before we do, Chris, where can they find you? Hey guys, I'm Chris Bramante. You can find me as a Montioc on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find me as a Montioc on Hyper RPG on Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. on The Gauntlet and Fridays at 3 p.m. on HyperQuest. You can find me with Robot Teammate. That's Robot Teammate on Twitter, a musical improv group that performs on the Geek and Sundry Twitch channel on Fridays at 9.30 as part of Gather Your Party. And then you can find us with Hamilton's LA, which is having our first event again on august 20th at the three clubs we hope you will come and sing along with us those are the spots omar where can they find you you can find me on twitter at omar najam i am also over at two broke geeks where i am putting up nerdy worms videos if you're interested or ever been considering the idea of making short form video content movies sketches anything like that Please join us because we are making movies together. There is no pressure. There is no such thing as failure. If you make a movie, you're a filmmaker. So congratulations. Mm -hmm. And also, I forgot to mention this the last few times, but the show that I worked on with Holland Farkas is on TV right now. So if you have access to Disney XD, check out Parker Plays. And there's a few, uh, I got to uh, edit a bunch of those segments and stuff like that. And if you see a weird random physics joke, that's probably mine. Awesome. Uh, so they're, uh, it's just a really fun show. It's just Parker in his bedroom that was created and is definitely not his bedroom playing video games. And he's the funniest, nicest guy. So feel excited to support. Uh, and that's pretty much it. If you want to find anything and everything that's at, they're calling the cops on us, anything and everything Sunday Needle Study Group related, that's at SSG Podcast. Again, that's at SSG Podcast, as well as Sunday Needle Study Group on Instagram and on Facebook. We'll be back next week in Sunnydale with something very, very exciting. Before that, Chris has got something to tell you. Um, yeah, and email us too, if you want, at Sunnydale Study Group at gmail.com. If you want to share your thoughts on the episodes or you just want to say hey how you doing shoot an email and And we'll read it it. we'll read it (laughs) that was not planned that's just the truth Mm -hmm. if two people say something at the same time that's not a jinx it's a truth Mm -hmm. so but you still have to both participate in buying coca-cola for each other i believe so Mm -hmm. yeah i'll get you later thank you i'll get you as well okay thank you i really just man that company really infiltrated culture very effectively i know Here we are buying Coca-Cola for each other. What if that was actually how it worked? A Coke executive like snuck onto a play like like a playground and was like, you know, the only way to break a jinx is to buy the other person a Coke. Wow, that's like a shady cigarette salesman guy. Mm. I be- I believe it though. That's probably how it started. I actually kind of like that. Right, let's do a comic about the origin yeah. of that. Anyway, we'll be back in Sunnydale next week, and we are very excited uh, to continue through both seasons of the show. Things are ramping up. Things are going to get very serious very soon, so please stay tuned. All right, guys. Until next time, pack up your books, pack up your bags. We'll see you then.